Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and guest for this episode? Well, hello, Grant. Um, yes, we are going to be continuing our theme of sustainable packaging and our drive t- towards a circular economy. And today we'll be honing in on an exciting new scheme for plastics recycling. And with us in the studio to tell us more about this is Tanya Baden. Tanya is the CEO of the Australian Food and Grocery Council, which is the leading national organization representing Australia's huge food and grocery manufacturing sector. She's also an independent director of Food Bank Australia. Throughout her career, Tanya has worked in government and the private sector on policy, economic, regulatory, strategic and sustainability issues that impact various industries, including the telecommunications and energy sectors. And in a previous life, Tanya also ran her own online organic grocery business. So she's eminently qualified to comment on the sector. Now, Tanya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to join you. So today we're going to be talking about the NPRS. What is the NPRS? So that is a very exciting initiative to collect, process, recycle soft plastics that we've been developing with major brand owners that produce chocolate, toilet paper, frozen chips, crisps, all of those sorts of products that consumers love every day, but that come in a soft plastic packaging that is not currently easily recyclable. So what the NPRS will do is help people to be able to recycle their soft plastics at home and keep it out of landfill for good. So for those who might not know what NPRS stands for, that's the National Plastics Recycling Scheme. When did this project start, Tanya? So about three years ago, we as the Food and Grocery Council started working with our members on developing a soft plastics product stewardship scheme. And the reason that we focused on that was that soft plastics were an increasing part of the waste stream. And businesses were using that material because it provided a much lower environmental footprint than other packaging materials. And it has a really important functional use, um, particularly for food, but it wasn't recyclable. And so we found that with the Red Cycle program, it was only collecting about 4% of material. The other 96% was going into landfill. And about 40 to 50% of all plastic packaging is soft plastics. So we needed to create a solution and to create circularity. The other important aspect to it was that brand owners are wanting to use more recycled content. And for soft plastic, the existing recycling technology can't actually give you the level of food grade safety and quality that you need to meet those regulatory requirements. And so we really needed to kickstart a whole new remanufacturing industry in Australia. And that uses some new advanced recycling technologies to be able to break the packaging material essentially down into oil and then build it back up into new plastic and new packaging. So we set out with our major brand owners to start to develop up this scheme. We were fortunate to get a grant from the previous federal government and that has um, led us down the path of, of spending the last year developing, designing a scheme. And the way the scheme will work is that consumers 
consumers will be able to take their household soft plastics, their bread bag, their frozen chip bag, etc., and put those into a plastic bag that ties up and goes into the yellow existing recycling bin. That will then get collected through the existing recycling infrastructure, um, sorted and separated out at material recovery facilities, and then need to go through some new stages of decontamination, pre-processing, and then through advanced recycling, um, and then be able to turn back into recycled content packaging. So there's a lot of complexity to that. It's still in its early stage, and we, we don't want consumers going and putting their soft plastics in the bin at the moment, except for where they're participating in a trial area. Um, but this is absolutely what we're working to, to circularity for soft plastics. So with those um, bags of soft plastics, a bag with bags within a bag, um, that they will be putting into their bins, are they tagged in some way? How do, are they picked up at the MRF and separated? So we're trialling different options at the moment. So we conducted some trials at the end of 2022 and we trialled different types of bags for one uh, because some bags might burst more than other styles of bags. So we trialled that, we trialled different tagging. So we're going through a evaluating the results of all of that to see what's the most optimal way to do it. Um, I know on the Central Coast, Kirby has a, a tag with the bag type system. That's one way of doing it. Um, but there are other ways of doing it that don't necessarily require a tag. And just speaking with my consumer hat on, where would I get that bag? Is council going to supply that to me? So for the trials, we have mailed out packs of bags to the consumers, but in the longer run, we're considering the option of making the bags available through retail, uh, for example. That's, that's one of the options we're considering. And have you um, engaged with retailers on this? Obviously, the retailers have been heavily involved in trying to solve this through the soft plastics task force, trying to solve that situation that we have now. But you think they'd be open to having those bags freely available at maybe at checkouts or something? So we've developed this scheme as food and grocery manufacturers taking the lead here. We're now going through a process of engaging a whole range of stakeholders. So, you know, I've talked about using the curbside collection system and we're really conscious that we need to really engage with councils and recycling facilities and the whole supply chain and gain their support and trust around this. Similarly, we're also now really engaging with other users of soft plastics. So the supermarkets not only could be uh, an avid for distributing bags, but importantly, through their private label, they are large users of soft plastics as well. Um, similarly, outside of food and grocery, there's increased use of soft plastic for home deliveries, for online shopping, um, as well as a number of other general merchandise sectors that use soft plastic. So this is a scheme that we see reaching far beyond food and grocery to cover all types of consumer soft plastic that consumers have in their household that could then make a really convenient for solution for them to be able to recycle it. So going back to the trials, uh, which you mentioned have been underway and are in different stages, where are we up to on the timeline of, of this project? So people need to understand first and foremost that this is a really complex beast. We're creating a whole new remanufacturing industry and there are various stages in that supply chain that don't exist at scale in Australia. So there are some very small decontamination pre-processing plants and very small advanced recycling, but there needs to be new infrastructure built. 
And we're very conscious, particularly on the back of the red cycle collapse, of not getting ahead of the processing capacity. So we're trying to send signals for processes to invest, but at the same time, we're not going to start the collections until we've got confidence of those end markets. Now, a really important part of the scheme then is that we will need to move from what's been a trial phase to, to prove up the concept, um, evaluate the results of that to make sure that then we can refine the model and then to gradually phase it in over several years. Um, a lot of this new processing technology isn't coming in until late 24 into 25. So it's going to be a while before we're able to completely roll it out across the country. But that's part of a really sensible measured approach to make sure that we are truly able to get to a solution and we don't end up with another red cycle. And the data from the trials, um, who's auditing that and how are you processing that? So we had six council areas with over 8,000 households participate in those trials earlier in the year. And as I say, we tested different models. We were particularly interested in what the household participation and feedback was, as well as understanding technically how the bags operated through that recycling process and to make sure that they weren't causing contamination for the rest of the recycling system. So those results have been independently audited and we're just in the process of finalising report out of all of that, which we will be sharing with the broad range of stakeholders over coming months. What I can tell you is that over a third of the consumers that participated in the trials previously were not involved in the Red Cycle program. So that just shows the potential of curbside convenient collection to be able to increase the amount of material that we can collect. And that was a trial over a Christmas period when people are busy. So separate to that, um, we've also learned that, you know, consumers have, have given us um, feedback about different ways of participating in the scheme. We've done opt-in models, opt-out models, and again, we're sort of evaluating all of that data. In terms of the, the technical side of it, we know that the contamination rates from the trials has been very low, um, particularly with a particular type of bag that we've used with slits in it that... Um, allows the air to escape without the bag bursting open. So we're confident that this is something that is going to be able to work for the waste and recycling industry. We are conscious though that every material recovery facility is different and we're very open to working particularly with some of the larger scale recyclers to make sure that there's no unintended consequences from the scheme um, and to you know further test any other aspects that, that need that done. Well, we have had this very week as we speak, some very exciting news coming through um, about an advanced recycling facility that is under construction now. That construction will be accelerated thanks to investment from Amcor and Mondelez. So that is really good news for Lysella, the company that is behind the CAT HCR technology that is the ad advanced recycling do you think um, that your scheme is going to be able to be on track by in time to meet the requirement for feedstock from that facility? So there's at the moment the you know stockpile of the red cycle material that needs to be processed, as well as the supermarket retailers will be recommencing return to store collections later this year and into next year. So there's various technology that's coming on board that will assist with that sort of processing and some of that is going to be the uh, expansion of some of the mechanical recycling. And then with Lysella coming on at the end of next year, as you say, that's very exciting and great to see industry getting behind 
you know, backing capital investment in that project. Um, it will still be a smaller scale facility. My understanding is they're looking at somewhere between about twenty to 50,000 tonnes. Keep in mind that there's about 500,000 tonnes of soft plastics put onto the market every year. So that is still a small amount and there are a number of other advanced recycling companies that are looking at making investments over the next couple of years as well as Lysella looking to grow their um, footprint as well. So we will um, then need to be able to have the feedstock for these facilities. They need their streams of not only just soft plastic, but they can take some other material in. And so the NPRS plays a really important role in facilitating the collection of that feedstock to be able to put into these facilities, but we'll do it in a way that is responsible so that we're not ending up with warehouses of material before the processing capacity is built. You have been quite forthright in your um, statements around NPRS saying that it is one of the, the top um, solutions for soft plastics. Do you firmly believe that? Absolutely. So for food and cosmetics and personal care products, you cannot get the level of food safe material that you need out of the existing mechanical recycling. That just leads to contamination in the material. So if we want to be able to create circularity and have packaging for soft plastic back into packaging, then we need to be able to have this new advanced recycling technology. Now, some people have suggested, oh, we should just get out of plastic altogether. But the reality is you can't take your frozen peas home in your pocket. And businesses have made a lot of advances in using soft plastic to replace other more rigid packaging materials and thereby reducing their carbon emissions and their water and their energy intensity. So it is a really important material that has environmental benefits over other types of packaging, but it needs that end-of-life solution. Um, and that's where, you know, we really think that this is a game changer. The other really important aspect of this is, you know, we've got brands stepping up here to take responsibility. You know, we've got major bread companies, cereal companies, chocolate companies, toilet paper companies, frozen chip companies, crisp companies um, that are all, and pet food companies. And We've got CEOs of these major brands behind this initiative, and that's incredibly exciting. The leadership behind this is really quite phenomenal and the commitment from the industry. So I'm very heartened by all of that and, you know, just really excited to be able to take this into the next stage. Well, what are those next steps and what is the timeline on this, do you think? We're looking uh, at the moment to you know, as I say, analyse the, the results of these trials, refine the design of the scheme. Um, we're in a lot of discussions with uh, governments, particularly at a state and federal level, but also local councils, to share that insight with them so that we can build confidence around the model. We will need to get some level of government endorsement around this, particularly as we're going to be using the curbside collection system uh, is what we've proposed. Importantly, governments have consultation underway at the moment on curbside collection standards. Uh, Victoria has already made an announcement that they will allow soft plastics in the curbside recycling bin later this decade, uh, but that is subject to the results of our trials. So we're working with other jurisdictions to try and influence the, um, the curbside standards to require collection of this material. So there's a lot of that advocacy work and policy work that needs to be in place to be able to support this. 
We're also then going out and recruiting more supporters. So uh, we've pleasingly had, um, you know, over two dozen brands from food and grocery support the scheme. We're now looking at how we can expand that support to other sectors. So I really encourage other businesses that use soft plastics to engage with the Food and Grocery Council on how they can be part of this scheme going forward. And then we'll be looking into next year to how we can do larger scale pilots to be able to further prove up uh, this concept and gain the confidence of various parties. So a lot of stakeholder engagement to come. Um, There are some groups who've been critical that we haven't shared enough information to date, but the reality is you have to show leadership and get something developed to a certain stage before you can really go out and um, confidently have those discussions. We're now at that stage and we're looking to really engage broadly with stakeholders to bring them on the journey, to get their feedback and to refine the model to make sure that it um, suits the needs of, of all parties. One other important aspect, if I may, just around the scheme that we haven't touched on is with a product stewardship scheme, we're making sure this is not just about collection, but we're also influencing the design of plastic packaging and the demand for recycled content. And they're two really fundamental elements that differ from the Red Cycle Scheme. So with the NPRS, brands will pay an eco-modulated levy into the scheme. So what that means is their fee will vary depending on whether they use recycled content or not, and whether they comply with global design standards for soft plastics. And that will help to drive the uptake of recycled content. So if you don't use the recycled content, you pay a penalty. So it helps to drive the uptake of the recycled content. And the design standards is really important in removing contaminants from soft plastics, which improves the recycling yield from them. So these are two really important elements of the scheme. And uh, they will help to ensure that we've got not only the right feedstock for the advanced recycling, but that we've got the offtake in markets for the material. So is that going to be legislated in some way, some kind of mandate that would tie in with what uh, Tanya Plibersek announced um, earlier this year? So there's very strong signal from the government that if industry doesn't solve not only soft plastic, but broader packaging issues, that governments will regulate. And there is a role for regulation. It's got to be the right type of regulation. So we see this as an industry-led scheme coupled with government regulation that um, will require participation in the scheme to level the playing field and uh, ensure that we have all brand owners participating which is really critical to having those elements around the recycled content demand uh, requirement work in the scheme. Now, the NPRS is covering post-consumer plastic, so all those wrappers, as you mentioned, of all the various food and grocery products. But those food and grocery brand owners are also manufacturing, and in their manufacturing plants, there is also soft plastic in that's coming off stretch wrapping and all of that, does NPRS anticipate it might be able to cover that as well? At this stage, we're focusing on the household soft plastic because that's where there is the big uh, gap in um, infrastructure and, and services. There are commercial services available for back of house for collection and processing of pallet wrap. So we haven't jumped in there at this stage. There may be a role in the future for the NPRS to play around consolidating some of that material, but at the moment our, our focus is the um, the household material. 
So to go back to the infrastructure, and we mentioned beforehand when we were chatting um, that there are several players on the mechanical recycling side, yes, but certainly on the advanced recycling side as well. How is the NPRS going to support this infrastructure development across the board? So the funds that we raise from brand owners will be used to plug the economic gaps in this whole supply chain. So material recovery facilities will need some upgrading with some new sortation and new balers. So there'll be a contribution that the NPRS will make to funding some of that infrastructure. There's also other stages then in that supply chain around um, pre-processing to be able to get the material decontaminated and essentially to a flaked or pelletized standard. Once it gets to that, it then has become a tradable commodity that can then be be traded into advanced recycling and then um, hopefully, you know, the market to be able to pull it from there. Um, but we're at the moment working with some external consultants to review the scheme to just be really clear about where those economic gaps are that we need to fill. So, you know, really coming back to that economic principle of where's their market failure here and where is there a need to essentially subsidise and support those parts of the value chain? You mentioned the volume of soft plastics coming onto the market every year and um, the capacity that's going to be required. Do you think that the capacity that has been outlined that's coming on stream, the Brightmark, the Lysella and so on, do you think we're going to have enough capacity to process all that plastic? I do. So, um, we've been doing a lot of work engaging with all of those processes and um, capturing that information about what level of processing is coming on at when. Now, obviously, like any infrastructure project, there's always um, timeframe delays and risks, uh, but we're certainly engaging with all of those processes and we'll make sure that we stagger our program to align with as they're coming on board. But there's certainly, I would say, over the last couple of years that we've been involved in this, been a significant shift in interest because um, we were having discussions, you know, three years ago where no one was interested in investing because there was no demand. Since we've jumped in and shown the leadership here, the level of interest in investing in Australia has significantly increased, coupled with the fact that the government now has their $60 million soft plastics element of the Recycling Modernisation Fund as well as the National Reconstruction Fund that can support these investments. Now, AFGC has shown the leadership, but who are the stakeholders that are helping you deliver the project? So, we have been um, forming, I guess, loose collaborations with a number of players. So, through our trials, we've been working with um, six councils across um, Adelaide. We had three councils in Adelaide. We had City of Melbourne, Macedon Rangers and Albury-Wodonga. Uh, and then we've been working with those councils closely and then we've been working with APR uh, and Danny Thorpe in Victoria who has been processing the material out of those trials. We've also been working closely with IQ Renew up on the Central Coast in New South Wales who are doing some great work around um, developing uh, decontamination and pre-processing plants. But we're also engaging, you know, as I say, with Lysella and Brightmark and Quenos and all of these players through to CSIRO, uh, through to packaging companies like Amcor and, um, and others. Um, so right across that whole value chain. And now we're just, um, you know, looking at really deepening and broadening out that engagement further. That might be an obvious question, um, but why is AFGC stepping up to lead this? 
So we have the major brands that produce soft plastics all at the table and they were wanting an end-of-life solution for their material. They see their packaging as being a really valued commodity that needs to be part of a circular economy rather than going into landfill. And so we had the brands coming to us wanting us to play a role in facilitating pulling this together for the industry. We have very good CEO engagement across the industry and I think that level of leadership has been critical to the success we've achieved thus far. You can't get that commitment without the drive of the CEOs and so I think we were the right body to be able to facilitate and bring this together. How can the rest of industry who's not yet involved get involved to support the scheme? We're in discussions with another uh, few industry associations that represent various retailers outside of food and grocery, uh, as well as different manufacturers. Um, but anyone listening to this, if you put your product in a shopping bag or in a um, uh, plastic, uh, soft plastic wrap, then please reach out to the Australian Food and Grocery Council, um, businessdevelopment at afgc.org.au, and we can follow up with you and see how you can get involved in the scheme. The minister's made very clear with the fashion industry that if businesses don't step up to support that industry-led initiative, that she will regulate. And we hear the same from a range of governments. They are expecting, and the community is expecting, industry to step up and deal with the 96% of soft plastic that had been going into landfill anyway. This is a great opportunity to get behind an industry-led scheme while it's in a voluntary stage to show your leadership and be part of that change. And um, we just really would welcome others to be part of that journey with us. Well, thanks very much, Tanya. I honestly feel um, as a packaging journalist that this is one of the most exciting time that I've ever worked in. <laughs> it's exhilarating to see the change that is happening, um, the collaboration on a scale we haven't seen before, and real investment and real ideas about innovative ways to, to change what we need to change and quickly. So thank you very much. You're, no, look, you're welcome. I, I appreciate the opportunity and we look forward to sharing more as we go on this journey. Thank you, Tanya. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow us in your favourite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode just as they're released. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.